Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. And um, today, like we said, um, would have been our sort of relaunch and uh, rededication of the hall. Uh, but as we said a couple of weeks ago, we won't be able to do it today because um, the, the school wasn't able to finish. They've been working really hard, but they weren't able to quite finish the, the storerooms and the bathrooms and so on on the outside. They're almost done. They're very close, but they're going to need a couple of more weeks to do it. So um, we, uh, we decided to to delay our, um, our relaunch and our dedication of the hall to the beginning of next year. So it'll be beginning of February will be the official sort of dedication and relaunch of the hall. So thank you for your patience with us. And also by that time, hopefully the, well, I'm sure the, the acoustic panel will be up, so the sound will also be a lot better and won't be so echoey um, as it is now. So um, <clears throat> thanks for your patience with us. The, um, while we taking up the offering, I, I just want us to to turn to one another and, and, and pray, and especially pray that the Lord will strengthen us and strengthen one another. Um, you know, I, I really think on the one hand. The devil is intensifying his attack on us as, as God's people. But on the other hand, God is also allowing it. Of course, like with Job, the devil can never do more than God allows him to do. You know, remember when, when the devil said, you know, Job is only serving you because, uh, because of all the benefits. You know, you've built a hedge of protection around him and I cannot touch him. I can't even touch his barge pole and uh, I can't come near him. Uh, and it's because of those benefits that Job's serving you. And then God said, okay, fine. You can, I'll, I'll prove to you that Job really loves me, not for the benefits, but for me. And if, if I allow you to take away the benefits, Job will still serve me and worship me. Um, and, and the devil did take away the benefits, like in a serious way. And Job said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And God allowed it. I mean, if you go read on in the book of Job, especially towards the end of Job, you realize God allowed to happen for, for many different reasons. Number one, to, to test Job's faith, but also to prove Job's faith and to prove to the devil that God is worth worshiping even if there are no benefits to worshiping him. And, and I just sense that the church is going through a period of that kind of testing. And, and I do sense that quite a few people in the church are going to fall away. People who don't really worship God, who are only serving God for the benefits. And I mean, in the last couple of weeks and months, I don't know if you guys have been following it on the internet, but you know, you, you got guys like Joshua Harris coming out and saying, I'm, I'm turning away from the faith. Now, he was a pastor who'd written quite a few books, you know, I, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and um, what was the other one? Problems Not Sex. The, uh, the problem is lust or something like that, but books like that, well-known books on, on relationships and, and, and sexuality and so on. And he was a pastor of a, of a massive, a big mega church in America, very prominent pastor, and, and he divorced his wife and said, no, he's, he's, 
unconverting. <laughs> he's turning away from Jesus. He's, he's, he's forsaking Christianity. And um, oh, I think it was a few weeks later, Marty Samson, who wrote many of the songs for Hill songs, um, like, uh, what were some of the songs that he wrote? Um, King of Majesty, songs like that, you know, well-known songs that we've all sung probably. He also said, no, he's, he's, he's turning away from the Lord. Does it sound all right? Okay. He's turning away from the Lord. And um, I think it's just a, a sign of the times that God is allowing testing. And those whose faith is not real will fall away. They will fall away. And, and we're going to see a bit of a falling away, but it's a, it's a purging. The reality is, as the, I quoted Philippians 1 verse 6 this morning, uh, earlier this morning, where God said, where Paul says, we can be confident that the good work that God started, he will complete. God finishes what he starts. If God started something, he will finish it. If he doesn't finish, then God didn't start it. Okay? And, and, and we're going to see a lot of that. Um, and our faith is going to be tested. And some of you are already saying to me, Henny, I'm already there. <laughs> My faith's already being tested. Thank you very much. I'm in the midst of it. My name is Job. <laughs> My name is Job. Thank you very much. If you are going through what Job is going through, I pray that like Job, you will discover that God in the end makes all things work together for your good. Like the New Testament says, I think it's, was it Peter or who writing in the New Testament says, God knew the end he had in mind for Job and it was a good end. God knows the end he has in mind for you. And I pray that your faith like Job's will come out stronger on the other side, that you will also be able to say, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That you'll be able to worship God in the midst of your storm and in the midst of your trial. And that's what I want us to pray for one another. That our faith will not be broken through the hardship we experience, but be strengthened through it. So I want to give us just a minute or two to just turn to each other. You don't have to pray a long prayer, but just... You know, take one another's hands and pray, God, I pray that you'll strengthen his or her faith through whatever they go through. Yes, Lord God, we just come to you this morning in Jesus' name and we just bring ourselves before you, Lord God. And we know, Lord, that faith in you, Lord, is, is not just something we can conjure up, Lord. It's a gift from you, Lord. Lord, even as Second um, Peter, the beginning says, we have received a precious faith, Lord. We have received a precious faith from you. And you have given, according to Romans 12, to each of us a measure of faith. Lord, and we thank you for the faith that you have given us, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you will not only preserve that faith, but that you'll strengthen it, that you'll purify it in this time, Lord. And we pray, Lord, where this is a time for your church to grow in faith, to be strengthened in faith, Lord, to, to be more courageous in our faith. We pray that you'll help us to do that, Lord. So often we feel so weak, Lord God. Lord, and we don't want to, Lord, mock people who turn away from, from you and turn away from the faith because we understand their weakness and we know their weakness because we are also weak. But we trust in you, Lord. We, pr we trust that we will remain standing, not because we are strong, but because you are strong.
And we pray that for each one of us, that we will experience, even in our weakness, your strength. That doesn't only keep us standing, but that gives us the grace to become stronger, to grow from strength to strength, from faith to faith, and from glory to glory into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So um, the last couple of weeks, last week, um, I started sharing it on Mark chapter 4 and 5. And uh, I was telling you that, you know, at the end of Mark chapter 4, Jesus silences the storm. In the beginning of Mark chapter 5, he, he drives that legion of demons out of the guy who, uh, in, in uh, Gadara, who was living amongst the tombs. Then he, he um, heals the woman with um, the flow of blood. And that's the story we're going to look at this morning. And then at the end of the chapter, he raises Jairus' daughter, little 12-year-old daughter from the dead. And, um, you know, it, it just shows us that, that Jesus has authority over disasters, silencing the storm, over demons, driving them out, over diseases, healing them, and even over death, raising people from the dead. And, and we see at the end of chapter 4, him rescuing his disciples from the storm, rescuing a man from demon possession, then rescuing a woman from disease, and then rescuing a, wom- a, a little girl from death. In other words, he saves everyone, whether it's disciples who already know him, whether it's men, women, or children who don't yet know him, he saves everyone. Because Jesus is the Savior of all. He's the only Savior of all. And um, what I was hoping you'd see last week and what I'm hoping you'll see again today is that when you come to Jesus by faith, you'll always end up giving more than you bargained for but you'll always end up receiving more than you bargained for as well. We saw that in, with Jairus' daughter. He had to give more than he bargained for. He had to have more faith than he bargained for. <laughs> he had to have more patience than he bargained for. Because he thought you know, Jesus was going to share his urgency and come quickly to his daughter. And Jesus stopped along the way to minister to this woman that we're going to read about now with a flow of blood. And first hear her testimony and all kinds of stuff, you know. You can just imagine poor Jairus' impatience because his, his daughter is at death's door. And, and Jesus required more patience and more faith from him than he intended to give initially. But Jesus also gave him more than he intended to receive. Because where he intended initially to just receive a healing, in the end he received a resurrection. And we're going to see the same thing with this woman with a flow of blood. Um, and, you know, I've, I've experienced the same in my life. And I'm sure, as I'm mentioning it now, you've also experienced the same. That when you come by faith to Jesus, you end up giving more than you intended to give, but you also end up receiving more than you intended to receive. Remember when um, I got into ministry uh, many years ago, I... I was quite involved in the church's ministry. I was involved in intercession. Uh, I was a small group facilitator. Uh, I was part of the band, you know, playing guitar and, and helping to lead worship. Um, and I, I was also um, starting to, to teach Bible school. We're going to switch over to this guy. Um, starting to teach Bible school and very much involved. Uh, but I, I never, ever had any desire to be in the ministry. I, I just not on my radar at all because I, contrary to popular belief and to what you might think, I actually don't or didn't like speaking in front of people. In fact, not liking it is a bit of an understatement. 
<laughs> I was terrified of it. <laughs> I hated it, you know, speaking in front of people. And if you had to tell me when I was at school that a big part of your job is going to be speaking in front of people on a regular basis, I would have said, Don't, I'm not, not, not me, thank you very much. I'm not going to do that, not for me. Um, and um, Rochelle and I, we we just gotten married, you know, started working, both of us, and um, we, we had plans to go overseas to England. It was in those days when you could still get the two-year working visa to go, go to England. So we were planning to go to London. In that stage, I think about 10% of London was South African, you know. You, you get on the underground and you hear Afrikaans. <laughs> and we were planning to be part of that, you know, group of people that, you know, were taking over London. And uh, we prayed about it, and then Pastor Fred, who, who founded Chofa in Stellenbosch, phoned me one afternoon and said, Henny, uh, it was a Thursday, I remember, I was driving my car, so I pulled over to the side of the road, and he said to me, Henny, um, do you, do you, you know, he asked me a few questions like, you know, are you computer literate? And I'm like, yes, I studied engineering, I'm computer literate, I can set up a spreadsheet and a, you know, stuff like that, I can, I can do some word processing and and whatever, and, um, you know, asked a few other questions, and so on, and then he said, no, because I want you to come and work at the church office, I said, oh, okay, uh, and he says, uh, uh, pray about it, I want to know by Sunday, <laughs> so it was very sudden, you know, and anyway, to make a long story short, the Lord spoke to Rochelle, because we prayed about it, we did, to our credit, we prayed about it, and God said to Rochelle, he wants us to lay our Isaacs on the altar, and we interpreted that as laying our plans to go to England on the altar, so we did that, and I said, okay, I'll start working there, but because of the way, the questions he'd asked me, and so on, I, I had this idea, he just wants me to work at the office, help out, do some stuff on the computers, and what have you, and then a couple of weeks later, we were sitting in the office meeting, and, and at the end of the office meeting, Fred said to, to see us, um, Oh, yeah, and remember to put Annie and, and Andre, my friend, that started with me around that same day, just at the same time. Remember to put Annie and Andre on the preaching roster. That's, after all, why we got them. And Andre and I looked at each other with big <laughs> eyes like this, like, what? <laughs> no one told us this. <laughs> um, and it, it was interesting how Jesus required more of us than we expected, than we intended to give, but he also ended up giving us more than we intended to receive. Um, yes, it's been a lot of sacrifices in terms of being a pastor, but, but also such a blessing and such a privilege. Uh, Rochelle always says, Dier het my gevang met the <laughs> She says, I married an engineer and end up up with a pastor. <laughs> Sometimes she feels it's a bit of a raw deal. <laughs> she was looking forward to a cushy life. <laughs> And the Lord required her to, <laughs> to give up her cushy, comfortable engineer's wife life. <laughs> but the Lord has also blessed her more than, also given her a lot more than, than, than she intended to receive. Um, and, and, the God, and God does that with us. God does that with all of us. So, so we see in this woman's life, we see, the, 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 we see a problem that, that she brings to Jesus. We see the solution um, Firstly, hers and, and Jesus's. And, and then we, we can also we can also quickly look at how it relates to us. So, firstly, this woman was sick. She had a flow of blood. Um, and, and, and you'll know this is not a small thing. I mean, all you know, mature women menstruate you know, every month. So you, you lose some blood. But 
you know, your, your, blood, your body gets, gets an opportunity to sort of replenish that, um, you know, because it's only for a couple of days and then, and then you know, it, it gets repeated monthly. But this woman was basically perpetually menstruating. And, and, and when you lose blood, you, you, your, your, your blood, you, you don't get enough oxygen. So you lose energy. Your heart doesn't work that well anymore. There are all kinds of, of knock-on effects, you know, if this happens perpetually. So this is like a serious condition that this woman has, you know. You can imagine she was probably struggling with fatigue and low energy and all kinds of stuff. Um, over and above just the, the physical, you know, inconvenience and even shame of it, you know. You know, so, so she, was, she was sick, um, but, but I mean, that wasn't the only problem. It wasn't just um, that she was sick, but the doctors couldn't help her. I mean, maybe I should actually read the scripture. Don't you think that's a good idea? <laughs> so Jesus went with him, and that's Jairus, and, and we'll link the story with Jairus, uh, the, the ruler of the synagogue, whose, whose daughter is later raised from the dead in a moment. It says, a large crowd follow, followed and pressed around him. Um, that's Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she had been, she, she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing that, uh, what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And, and what we see is this, this woman, she, she was not only sick, she was not only struggling with this condition, but the doctors couldn't help her. So she'd been struggling with this, this, this condition for 12 years. You can just imagine how physically weakened she is, how demoralized and down she is, how ashamed she is. Because, I mean, it's, it's not like in our culture where it's just a medical condition. As we're going to see just now, it's, it's also, according to the Old Testament, there are spiritual implications. She was unclean. Because, uh, because of this. Um, now, I just want to mention, Mark's not against doctors. Okay, any doctors in the house? Okay. Yeah. Mark's not against doctors at all. All he's saying is that doctors are limited in what they can do. Doctors are good. I mean, Luke, who wrote one of the other Gospels, was a doctor. He's referred to in Colossians by Paul as Luke, the beloved doctor. Now, if doctors were not liked by the writers of the New Testament, they would not have called Luke the doctor beloved. <laughs> okay? He was a beloved doctor. Not the beloved ex-doctor. He was the beloved doctor. So he was still practicing his medicine. And Paul loved him. 
So sometimes Luke would, you know, bind up wounds and sometimes Paul would pray for people and they'd get healed. And they were a team. Paul saw no, saw no problem with that. Okay? And, and neither should we. But the, the reality is doctors can only do so much. There are some conditions that doctors cannot heal. And this woman had such a condition. The doctors had been trying for, for many years at great cost to her to heal her. And nothing had happened. So for 12 years, she had this condition. And then it, 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 it says she, she heard about Jesus. And um, if we go, let me just see if I um, put that in. Just uh, There we go. In Mark 3 verse 10, it says, this is two chapters before, it says, For he healed many so that those who with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. So, so she'd obviously heard this account of what was happening there, that when people came close to Jesus and touched him, they got healed. Now she heard about this Jesus who, if you touch him, you get healed. And she decided, I'm, that's what I need. That's what I need to do. I need to go and touch this Jesus and get healed because the doctors cannot do anything for me. But there was a bit of a problem. She didn't only need healing. If you look at Leviticus 15, verse 19 and 25, it says, when a woman has a regular, her regular flow of blood, in other words, when she's menstruating, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Okay? So during a period, a woman is unclean for seven days, and whatever she touches becomes unclean, or whomever she touches becomes unclean. But it gets worse than that. In verse 25, it says, when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than a monthly period, or as a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. And that's this woman's condition. So this woman was perpetually unclean. This woman perpetually um, was unclean. She couldn't have contact with anyone because if she touched anyone, they would become clean, unclean. If she touched anything, that would become unclean. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't make sacrifices. She couldn't do anything. She couldn't be in crowds. Let me just read you a, a quick um, note from a commentary that I read. It says, according to the Torah, a woman was unclean for seven days after her monthly period, but if she had a protracted gynecological problem, as does this woman, she remained unclean throughout that, uh, its duration. Anyone who came into contact with her during uh, menstruation would be banished until evening. Josephus, uh, who was one of the Jewish historians of that time, uh, Josephus' testimony that the temple was closed to women during their menstruation indicates that this particular Torah ruling was carefully observed by, by Jews in Jesus' day. According to, accordingly, a menstruating woman and whoever touched her were banished from the community until purification. So they actually, the Jews in Jesus' time, they didn't always apply all the, 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 the laws, but they certainly applied this law. And now you have a ruler of the synagogue and you have a woman who's not welcome in the synagogue. Okay? So, so she had a, a problem and, and there was a problem of 
it was not just a social problem of I may not have any social contact. I may not touch anyone. No one may touch me. No one wants to touch me because I'm unclean. But I may not be in crowds. I may not be around people. If I am around people, I have to warn them. Listen, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. It's like being a leper. The lepers also had to say, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Stay away. I can contaminate you. Can you imagine that? Can you now understand why after she gets healed, she tries to sneak away and when Jesus eventually, you know, forces her to come out, she falls down before him in fear and trembling. Because she was not allowed to be in crowds. Most of the people in the crowd would have been angry at her for what she did, for contaminating them and making them unclean. And can you now understand her dilemma? She's in a catch-22 situation. She has this debilitating disease that saps her of her energy and her health continually. She hears that there's a man called Jesus, that if you touch him, you get healed. But she's not allowed to touch anyone. She's not allowed to be amongst the crowds or constantly around, surrounding this Jesus. So the crowds are like a, a wall keeping her away from him. But even if she could get close, she's not allowed to touch him because she's unclean. And he's this holy man, this righteous rabbi who heals the sick. Can you see her catch 22? Can you see how she's snookered? Can you see how the one thing that she needs most she cannot have because she's too unclean to come close to the one who can give her what she needs, who can heal her, who can meet her need? And if we think carefully, we'll realize now we don't understand clean and unclean and I don't have the time to go into it because basically the, the whole thing about clean and unclean was just to show God, for God to show us and his people, Israel, and us through them how holy he really is. Because if you go and look at the clean and unclean laws, if you apply them strictly, everyone would be unclean. No one would be allowed to get close to God. Go, uh, go, go read Leviticus and Numbers and those books. Don't fall asleep. You know, most people use, use those books for when they have insomnia. <laughs> but it, it was to show Israel how impossibly high God's standard of holiness and its perfection is. Um, and, and, and if we understand that, we'll realize that like this woman, we are unclean. I mean, most of us in the first place are Gentiles. Okay. You were unclean if you ate pork. So if you ate bacon and eggs in the last week or whatever, <laughs> unclean. You know, If you're wearing a shirt or clothes with different kinds of material, you know, polyester and cotton and so on mixed, unclean. If you, you know, touch someone that is unclean, that is not a, a, a purified Jew, unclean. If a fly or an insect, you know, flew into you, unclean, or fell into your, your drinking water, or, or whatever, you know, uh, here's the point. We, like this woman, we have this need. We're bleeding out life, as it were. We need healing. But the problem is we're unclean, and the one who can heal us is so clean and so holy that we should not actually touch him. We're not actually allowed to touch him. We're not, in fact, allowed to even come near him. So what do you do? Well, this woman took a risk. 
She perpetrated an act of faith. She, she underestimated Jesus a bit, and she thought, maybe I can sneak a miracle out of him. <laughs> maybe I can do a hit-and-run miracle. Maybe I can get a hit-and-run healing. I can sneak up to him. And I'm, I'm not actually allowed to be around crowds, but maybe this crowd's going to end up being a blessing. You know, They might be angry at me if they catch me. And if someone recognized me, I can just imagine this woman sort of putting a veil over her face and actually disguising herself and then sneaking through the crowd, you know, behind Jesus, sort of trying to press through, you know, to get to Jesus and eventually coming close to him and, and thinking, you know, if I just touch him, you know, because I know how these things work. I'm unclean. I've been unclean for 12 years. Not only, it, someone becomes unclean, not only if they touch me, but if they touch something that I've touched. But if... But what if it works the other way around as well? What if I touch something that he has touched? I don't even have to touch him. What if I just touch his clothes? Does it work the other way around? And she sneaks up to Jesus, taking a big risk. In some ways, take, I mean, if you, if you see how nasty the Pharisees were about this kind of thing, keeping the Sabbath and purity laws and all that kind of stuff, you could imagine she was actually taking her life in her hands. If the Pharisees caught her, they would stone her. <laughs> They'd stone people for less. Okay? And she's sneaking up to Jesus, and then she touches his clothes. And she gets healed. So her solution was to sneak a hit-and-run healing out of Jesus. She's afraid of the crowd, but she does that in any case. Because, I mean, let me just read maybe a, a, another verse for you. Uh, here we go. There we go. Um, anything she lies on, this is from Leviticus 15, verse 20 and 21. Any, anything she, the woman who, who, who is having a, a monthly period, lies on during a period of, uh, will be unclean. And anything that she sits on will be unclean. Whoever touches her bed uh, will be unclean. Uh, they, will, they, they must wash their clothes and bathe in water and will be unclean until evening. And um, we see that not only is this woman unclean, but anything she touches, anyone that touches her is, is unclean. And, and she thinks, okay, but what if it works the other way around as well? And, and here's the good news. She's, she's afraid of touching Jesus because he's this holy man, this, this righteous rabbi, and, and, and he must be clean. And, and will she not contaminate him and make him unclean? But she, she harbors this hope. Maybe, maybe she can get away with it. She understood that Jesus could heal her, but she underestimated what Jesus could do for her. And she underestimated what Jesus was going to require from her, as we're going to see in a moment as well. You see, what we don't always realize is that Jesus reversed the direction of contamination. When in the Old Covenant, if something that was holy touched something that was unholy, the holy thing became unholy. If something that was clean touched something that was unclean, the clean thing became unclean. But Jesus' power, Jesus' cleanness, Jesus' holiness is so strong, so powerful, that it reverses the direction of contamination. And if something unclean touches Jesus, His cleanness is so powerful that He contaminates the unclean thing with clean. His holiness is so powerful that He contaminates the unholy thing with His holiness. His power is so powerful that He contaminates the weak thing with his power, the sick thing with his healing, the sinful thing with his forgiveness. 
So the woman reaches out and she touches Jesus and she feels in her body that she's freed from a disease, that she's freed from her suffering, that she's healed immediately. And Jesus immediately feels that power went out from him. And um, Jesus stops. And he turns around and he said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples are like, duh, Jesus, everyone touched your clothes. You're in a crowd, you know, that's thronging around you. You know, you've been But Jesus, this is amazing to me. So many people touched Jesus because they were crowding around him. But he didn't feel that touch. But when a woman touched him by faith, he felt it and she felt it. If you touch Jesus by faith, you will feel it and Jesus will feel it. And power went out from him to her. And this woman thinks she can get away with it. She just like hit and run, you know, touched, healed, and then ducked away. (laughs) But Jesus, even when his disciples are like, Jesus, what are you talking about? You know, everyone's touching you. He, He stops and he says he kept looking around. He kept looking around, you know, trying to find this woman. Why did he keep looking around? Because he was going to force this woman to give more than she intended to give because he wanted her to realize that he had given her more than she intended to receive. Because in the end, when he talks to this woman, when she eventually sort of in fear and trembling comes and falls down before him and confesses, tells the whole truth, confesses what she has done, he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole, healed you. The, the Greek there, you know what the Greek word is? It's a, it's a word, sosokan, which, which comes from the, the Greek word sozo. You know what sozo means? To save. You can use it for healing, but when it says Jesus saved us from our sins, it uses the same word. Jesus saved us from the wrath of God, it uses the same word, sozo. So he doesn't just say your faith has healed you. He say, it, it, healing is included in that. But he says your faith has saved you. You don't realize this. When you touched me, I did more for you than you wanted me to do for you. You wanted a healing, I saved you. I didn't only heal you from the disease that was afflicting you. I cleansed you from the uncleanness that was clinging to you. And I want you to come out and say it because I want this crowd to know that you are now clean. The social shame that clung to you, that prevented you from interacting with people, I have removed that as well. The fear that kept you away from people because you were afraid of contaminating them, that's gone as well. You can go to the synagogue. You can go to the temple. You can be around people. Imagine the relief of a woman who hadn't been touched in 12 years. The first touch she received, she stole a healing touch from Jesus. How relieved she must have been. Now I can be around people without being afraid. Now I can touch people. Now I can give people hugs. Now I can hold people's hands without contaminating them, without feeling guilty, without feeling ashamed. But not only that, Not only did Jesus want to show her that he had saved her 
to a much greater extent than she asked for or hoped for or imagined he would do. But he wanted a testimony from her because he didn't only want to use what he had given her in her life, but he wanted the whole crowd to realize what he had done for her. And especially he wanted Jairus to hear it. Because Jesus knew his delay would lead to the death of Jairus' daughter. And Jairus Jairus was going to need more faith than he thought he was going to need. And he knew that Jairus needed to hear this woman's testimony. This woman telling the whole truth of what has happened to her. To strengthen his faith. Um, Where's Chantal? You can just quickly come forward. I'm asked Chantal to just share a testimony um, with us. So Jesus doesn't just want to give us healing. He wants to give us full salvation. He doesn't want to just give us relief. He wants to give us relationship. You know, so often we come to church, right? We come to church and we also just want to hit and run healing. We just have a desperate felt need that we want Jesus to meet. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not going to happen in the way you want it because I'm interested in more than just giving you relief. I want to give you a relationship with me. You're going to come and talk to me about it. You're not getting away with just a hit and run healing. Okay? He doesn't just want to give you a touch. He wants to give you a testimony that you can take out into the world and change, that he can use to change other people's lives. And Chantal's going to share such a testimony with us. Okay. Um, so last year, July, I started a new job at a coal mining company. Um, maybe just to give a bit of background. So before that, like last year, January, I'd been praying about moving jobs for a while, and I really felt the Lord saying, like, you're going to move, but wait for me to, to bring it to you. And in March, I was um, headhunted by the coal mining company, and I felt it was from the Lord because it worked out as he had said. So I joined them in July. And um, the first month, only half the people got a salary. And along the way, a lot of things sort of happened where I discovered there was a lot of corruption in the company. And yeah, in that time, I had to really stand up and like, say, this is wrong, you can't do this, or I think like, this is how it should be done. And nobody would really stand up and help, even though people agreed with what I was saying. Um, everybody went along with it because there's money involved. And it just got really difficult, and you're constantly standing up. You're alone, but you're obviously doing it in prayer and with the Lord. And in that time, I also got quite ill. Um, I wasn't really sure what was wrong, but my stomach was bleeding a lot, and I was in a lot of pain, and I think because of all the stress, I also, like, I either had a bleeding ulcer or something was just very wrong, Um, and I started applying for new jobs in about November, and I literally wouldn't hear anything from any recruitment agencies or um, anything, and I, yeah, so I was like, Lord, what do I do? Do I resign Um, without a new job? And I you still know about all these things that are happening at the company which aren't biblical or do I do I carry on or what and in that like I still knew that the Lord had he had placed me there but I just couldn't see it was really difficult to see his hand um, because nobody got saved in that time or there weren't like miracles or anything it was just it was just like a battle from the beginning just to stand up and be a Christian Um, and so at the and yeah, my health just really deteriorated between November and January. And at the end of January, I really felt the Lord saying, like, I have to resign now. 
and I still didn't have a new job, so I, I resigned, um, and I finished, and I, like, I was in so much pain with my stomach that I literally couldn't sit up straight in the chair anymore. Um, and I just really had to trust the Lord that he was going to heal me and give me a new job somehow. And it's difficult to go to an interview and people ask you, well, you know, where did you work previously? Or then you tell them you resigned without a new job. It's a bit weird with, you know, within a space of seven months. So that was also a bit of a challenge. Um, and Henny phoned me one day and he just said, there was a school of prayer yeah, or like, yeah, and he asked me um, if I'd come and that he could, that they could pray for me for healing. And um, so I came and he prayed for me and my pain went from a, like a nine to a zero. And um, like the bleeding in my stomach stopped completely immediately. And I really, you know, I just felt emotional release and just completely like physical healing immediately as well which was such a blessing and two weeks after that I had already booked scopes and everything that um, just to check what was wrong so I still went for them and the, the gastroenterologist said all he could pick up was scarring like the same sort of scarring that people with Crohn's disease has and he did a bunch of tests on them and he could find nothing wrong with it um, so I really just praise God for that. And yeah, and then I asked, like I'd, I'd sort of had a desire in my heart that if I get a new job that it would be, it would at least give me a bit of a month, like a month's break um, just to recuperate. And I literally, I think I'd given in my laptop at the end, mid-February, the 16th of February, and on the 16th of March I found out I had a new job. Um, and I started in April, and it's just been amazing. Like the, it's a completely different environment. I'm, I'm like, I'm someone that gets bored quite quickly, and so I'm very stimulated in the new job. And the people that I work with are really nice. Um, it's like almost like a family. We all eat lunch together every day, and yeah, it's just like the Lord has changed everything around completely. Isn't that amazing? She took the risk of trusting God to do what is right, even when it would cost her something, and uh, much like this woman in the story. And God didn't only come through for her and heal her physically, but he, but he gave her a new job, and a, and a job that was a blessing. And God required her to, God gave her the previous job, which was not a nice job. And God needed her to be there. God wanted her to be there. And God wanted her to to be there to stand up against the corruption and the, the unethical behavior that was there as a testimony to them. So even there, she was, even though it was difficult, was in God's will. And can you see how God requires more of us than we intend to give, and yet He gives more to us than we intend to receive? So um, Jairus, how this applies to us, Jairus, the name Jairus means He enlightens which is a very appropriate name for a guy who's the leader of a synagogue, okay? Because in the synagogue, they read the scriptures, they preach, you know, they're supposed to, you know, be people supposed to get enlightened, you know, he enlightens people. But it's ironic that Jairus, whose name means he enlightens, had to be enlightened by this woman and by her faith so that he could emulate her faith. And likewise, God wants us to emulate her faith. Even when she didn't fully understand, even when she fully, she, she, she did what she wasn't allowed to do, but she relied on God's grace. And we can always rely on God's grace because He is gracious. Um, 
And Mark goes out of his way to both compare and contrast these two situations. I just want to maybe give you a few, few of those that I wrote down. You know, firstly, you know, in both there's a large crowd, and Jairus and this woman have to press through the large crowd by faith to get to Jesus. And that's what faith does. Faith presses through the crowd, like I said last time, to get to Jesus. Um, both the victims in the situation are female, the little girl and the woman. Um, both were unclean. Because she had a flow of blood and, and the little girl was dead. And if you're dead, you're unclean. Okay? Uh, both, in both cases, and this is very interesting. So, so let, me, let me maybe just apply this to us. But both are not only you know, sick or dead, but both are unclean. And, and both reflect us. Our problem is not just that we need healing. Our problem is that we need cleansing. So that we can get to God. So we need a touch from Jesus to get both. Um, in both, the number 12 is mentioned. Remember, the little girl is 12 years old, and this woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And, and Mark intentionally mentions that. Why? And, and, and let me just mention this. Mark has this thing of what, that he does. He uses things that are literal, that historically happened, but he, and, and he says they really historically happened, but he invests them with symbolic and metaphorical meaning. And, and he, I can't show you, but it, in many places in the gospel he does this. And look what... The womb here is very significant, okay? Because this woman, her womb, which is the place from which she gives birth, 12 years ago, it, it broke. It was damaged. 12 years ago, the little girl who came out of the womb, she came out of the womb 12 years ago, and now she was broken. She was damaged. She was dead. So he talks about the womb, the ability to produce fruit, and the fruit of the womb, the little girl representing it. Now, that is all that God is interested in, uh, in, in our lives. He's not interested in the works that we can produce in our own strength. He's only, how does a womb produce fruit? How does a womb give birth? A woman cannot give birth by herself. She needs a man to impregnate her, to plant a seed that grows in a womb that produces what she gives birth to. And that's the only thing that God is interested in in our lives. He's not interested in the fruit that we can produce by ourselves. He's not interested in the works that we can conjure up by ourselves. He's interested in intimacy with us that leads to Him impregnating us with His purposes that we then give birth to. He's interested in the good works that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that come out of intimacy with Him. Just like a child comes out of intimacy with a man and woman. Now, I'm not saying God has sex with us. Please understand me. You know, don't misunderstand me. I'm saying that the sexual intimacy between a man and a woman, between a husband and wife, reflects the kind of intimacy that we have with, with God and reflects the, I just want to say, the impregnation that produces the fruit that is pleasing to God. Does that make sense? But here, the story tells us that Jesus doesn't only heal the womb, but he reels the fruit of the womb when either of them goes wrong. So even our ability to please him and to produce fruit that is pleasing to him, he, he heals that. Can you see that? Some of you are saying, whoa, Annie, you, you're way too deep now. You, you, you lost me. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> Jesus touched both of them. Both of them were afraid, and both of them ended up having faith. Jesus speaks to both of them. Both Jairus and the woman pressed, I already mentioned that one, the pressed the crowd. But Mark also emphasizes many contrasts between them. Firstly, Jairus is male, the woman is female. 
Jairus was honored. This woman was shamed. He was an honored leader of a synagogue. She was the shamed, you know, had this flow of blood, was contaminated, couldn't be around people. He was rich. He has a house and servants in the house. She was poor. She used up everything she had, you know, to pay for the doctors to try and get, to try and get well. He had a name. She remains nameless. We know his name is Jairus. Her name is never mentioned. He had a position, ruler of the synagogue. She had none. She, he is commanded to have faith. She is commended for having faith. He approached Jesus overtly, openly, falling down before Jesus, saying, Lord, come and heal my daughter. She covertly, secretly, sneaks up behind Jesus to approach him. He speaks to Jesus, and Jesus follows him. She follows Jesus, and Jesus speaks to her. Jairus asks for a direct touch from Jesus. This woman steals an indirect touch from him, touching his clothes. Her condition was chronic. The daughter's condition was acute. And why the contrast? Can you see how, how Mark contrasts the position? He, he makes them certain things that are the same, to show us that we should do likewise, just like Jairus had to do likewise. But he also contrasts them because he wants to show us whether you're high or low, rich or poor, honored or shamed, whoever you are, you can come to Jesus and touch him by faith. And if you relate to him by faith, you will end up giving more than you bargained for, but you'll also end up receiving a lot more than you bargained for. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.